welcome to the ALN podcast series. If you like what you're hearing, you can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. What we're going to do is talk about the event and what I, I've informed people is that we want to not only say, you know, the good things, because we've gotten a lot of positive feedback, but ISO 55000 and 10.3 is continuous improvement. And so we want to have a couple of continuous improvement comments here to uh, talk about how we can do things better uh, going forward. But uh, we're very happy to have uh, Bob Leach, who is an ALN senior fellow, uh, as, long, uh, as well as being uh, uh, with Woolport. And Ed Safdie, who should be an ALN senior fellow, but he's too busy to let us give him a pin uh, that says he is. But uh, anyway, uh, Ed's with uh, Grant Thornton. And uh, both of these gentlemen attended the event along with uh, Jim Dieter and Nick Kenoki. And so we're just going to talk about uh, some of the impressions that were made. And, uh, you know, like I said, the continuous improvement. Um, so, Bob, you signed on first. Why don't uh, you say hello? And uh, we appreciate that uh, you came down for uh, that. Uh, for, you know, was, were you even there for 24 hours in D.C.? Uh, oh, yeah. I've been there Thursday all day for meetings and then had to run out Friday afternoon. So I did miss part of the, the uh, event on Friday, unfortunately. Uh, but I heard it was really, really good. So. Well, you, were mad about this. you were there oh, all yeah. morning, yeah. weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> I thought it was excellent. You know, one of the things that impressed me, of course, I can't remember the last time I was in a group meeting with the ALN, <laughs> honestly. 34 um, so months ago. It was, uh, it was really good to see a lot of familiar faces, some new faces. Um, but, again, I think I've always been impressed by the caliber of people, the dedication, the, you know, the the willingness to look for solutions and seeing this whole approach as a, a means to enable that. Uh, and that was just reinforced all day Friday, all the conversations I had with everybody. Uh, it's, it's folks who are looking to get things done. You know, it's not an academic exercise. Um, there, there is definitely some heavy thinking that goes on, um, but it's really more about application and shaping the intellectual property, if you will, the, the concepts as to how best to serve the application rather than some esoteric thing that really is, it doesn't provide much value in, in the practical real world that we all live in. And of course, uh, the whole notion of asset management seems to be still confused between, you know, managing assets or <laughs> strategic asset management is a distinction I keep trying to make. Um, I saw it just today with the, another group of people and I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just something that I think will come with time, that kind of clarity. And what I really liked about the presentations was you had, you had a mix of that. Uh, you know, you had uh, folks there from New York talking about the infrastructure um, architecture framework 
which I think is phenomenal, frankly. And it's something that articulates a thought I'd had for some time about um, how to stitch these things together in a meaningful way. And I thought they did a really good job of kind of answering the mail in that regard, really providing some great, powerful conceptual products to make that a reality. So there you have kind of the, you know, you've got the ISO 55000 standard, and then you have a sort of a, a conceptual framework of how this can be applied in a practical way, but it's still a little bit esoteric, right? And then you have the examples of, um, I would say, uh, from art, particularly university health about certification and really taking those same concepts and showing how they applied it to their situation to achieve certification and the real value that was delivered from doing yeah. that. So to me, in a nutshell, that really kind of walked through all the pieces of it. Um, as well as Chris Vick, you know, talking about the advances they've made with the reclamation, uh, and they're tackling a, a tremendous challenge there. Uh, but it's all very practical stuff. It's what have you got? How do you track it? What kind of shape is it? I mean, you know, it's basically he inventory. Makes it too things. easy. He makes it's it not easy. <laughs> and he, he knows it's not easy. <laughs> he's got this really clear, precise presentation, and yeah. and. You know, we got to ask him next time, can you sweat a little bit when you're doing the presentation? Can you make it look hard? Because he's a, he's a smart guy, you know, he's got a really good team. So yeah, that probably helps to make it easy. And it's not that these things are so difficult. It's really just common sense, right? But codifying common sense and applying it in a, in a successful, useful way, that's the part that's not so easy. And I, I continually circle back to the uh, the growing realization that assets really aren't the problem and information really isn't the problem and data really isn't the problem. More and more, I think it's just people. <laughs> it's like, we just can't get out of our own way, you know, even, even like-minded people speak different languages. So it's, it's pretty amusing. I think in some ways we just got to deal with that reality. So, um, that is, that is for sure. The first video clip from this, uh, this presentation <laughs> that, that, is, that is an awesome 30 seconds thank you <laughs> yeah so i don't know how much you guys want me to go on but i was i was really impressed being there before we go on to ed i want to point out that bob was with the army corps of engineers civil works and started that organization on a path to asset management back in the past 55 days so Bob has history with this, and now he's with Woolport. And so can you talk just slightly from having, you know, the, your federal government hat on mm -hmm. and what you saw, and then uh, as a consultant, what you saw? Uh, although what you just said about it, it being people works for both of them also. Oh, yeah, that, that applies equally in <laughs> public and private endeavors, I think. Um well, I used to be Chris's peer when I ran the asset management program for the Corps, and so we, we used to commiserate and share horror stories about the same situations we were going through. They've actually, Reclamation has made great strides, and I'm happy to say the Corps has too, once they finally got, you know, that lump out of the way and I got out, you know. <laughs> um, then they made some real progress, <clears throat> and they actually just had their very first strategic asset management signed, so that's in production and should be available I don't know how soon, but it's it's in process anyway, which is a huge milestone for an organization as complex as that. Yes. And I always used to laugh when I was there. It's like, I don't really know if they understand what they're asking for with this asset management thing, because it's going to, has a potential to change the way they do business, you know, fundamentally, um, which gets to organizational identity and culture and all those things too. 
So that's a, another kind of amusing aspect, but the SAMP is definitely very, very ambitious. Um, so that's, I think, really good. And there's a lot of federal organizations, I, I think more and more are coming to the table, really wanting, seeing the value in ISO 55,000 uh, in terms of organization um, and, and application to what they do. And Reclamation and the Corps of Engineers being two really good examples, but you know, National Park Service has been doing it for a number of years. Uh, pretty successfully as well. So there's a lot of really good examples out there in the in the federal government. And of course, the challenge with the federal government is very, very short time horizons. Everything's tied to budget cycles and administrations and, um, you know, political uh, goals, I would say, or objectives, which are not often the same as, say, national goals. I mean, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Um, creation of jobs can happen in a lot of different ways. And we're seeing that now with this infrastructure funding. It's a great thing to see happen, you know, finally after all these years, but it's a huge amount of money. So how effectively is it going to get spent in terms of delivering true value? And that's an ongoing conversation I know we've had uh, amongst this group. And that's where asset management can help, I believe. If you have- but That's what Chris Vick proved. That's mm -hmm. what Chris Vick's presentation proved. Absolutely. The structure, a structured approach to asset management can be transparent and show directly measurable results. Yep. Yeah, and it did. <laughs> He's got the proof. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so coming out of the federal government, working out with Wolpert now for almost, I guess, going on four years, um, it's really the same thing I did at the core, setting up asset management and walking people through to whatever degree they're comfortable. And that's one of the things I really like about ISO 55000 is it's completely scalable. I mean, I used to tell people, because I was big in focus on maintenance management in particular, which is, in my mind, a subset of asset management. Um, you don't need fancy computer systems. And you don't need high-powered consultants. You just need clarity. I mean, you could do most of this stuff on a cocktail napkin, you know, if you really just think it through. Not that you actually could. You know, it's a little more detailed than that. But big uh, cocktail it, it doesn't have to, people tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. And they look for big solutions to big problems when really sometimes the simplest solutions are one are the ones you need. And maybe you just need a series of simple solutions to solve a big problem. Um, so it's that kind of a conversation that I think asset management really, the, the thinking behind asset management really helps with, you know, it's like, it's like the old adage, of, uh, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve and having clarity with that and, and really line that up. But then I like the fact that ISO 55,000 specifically brings in life cycle and value and things like that that are a little more intangible concepts that don't always get addressed. And like I said, in the public world, it's a little, you've got short time horizons. People aren't thinking 20, 30, 40, 50 years out. They're generally not thinking much about sustainment at all. Some, some parts of the federal government are, uh, but some aren't, frankly. They acknowledge it, but there's not a whole lot of um, effort put into really solving that sort of an issue. Uh, on the private side, I think there is more of that, but it's still something that gets overlooked. And I think, again, that, that's a little bit of a human thing. I think we have trouble thinking out 40, 50 years and really imagining what that might look like. And, the, you know, things like total cost of ownership, it's a straightforward concept, but it really escapes most people, it seems, in practice. Not because they're, they're, they're not capable of thinking about it. It's just because it's not a habit. It's not something that we tend to think about. Maybe There isn't a culture for that yet. Yeah, that's a good word for it, sure. So I've seen that a lot on the private side. Some of the most successful asset management organizations I've seen so far to date, uh, and this is just my experience, are actually smaller organizations. And I think that has something to do with the ability to communicate more clearly across you know, 
a few a fewer number of people rather than a huge number of people. There's less barriers, uh, and there's actually a lot of uh, the one I'm thinking of in particular. There was a lot of internal alignment amongst people who realized they they needed to change. They agreed this was a good path to follow. They maybe weren't 100 percent in support of it, but they weren't opposed to it because they understood that they were they were you know marching towards a better day essentially. And they they understood also they would get a chance to. Uh, influence that. If they didn't like the direction they were going or they didn't like some of the details, they had an opportunity to help reshape things. And so very collaborative atmosphere. Uh, and it, that's something, you know, you look back at something like the Corps of Engineers and think, you know, we had that at the Corps, but it was like little tribes of that here. You'd have it here and then you'd have it over here and then you'd have it over here. Um, but cohesively, it, it didn't seem to really take root. And I think in some ways it's almost too simplistic. You know, you talk about assets, you talk about life cycle, you talk about sustainment. That's not big and sexy and neat. And, you know, they don't launch missiles and rockets and cut ribbons for things like that. It's pretty mundane, really. And so uh, I think it just gets overlooked as a result of that. So I, I see a lot of parallels between public and private. I think private's a little more nimble. Um, they have a lot more constraints they have to operate within, it seems like, as well. Uh, and, and that's one of the big drivers they have, and actually for public as well, too. One of the big drivers for looking at ISO 55000 was realizing that the constraints they operated under, they didn't have all the resources they needed, and there was assumptions that you had all these resources or that you had enough resources to do the things people were expecting, and the, in reality was something different. So it actually became a tool to help communicate that, that, hey, we, you, know, you want this thing to be open 24-7, for instance, and we can only afford to keep it open 12 hours. So what would you like us not to do in order to get to 24 seven? <laughs> yeah, right. those kinds of conversations. And so that, but the part of the private world, I think is very used to that. You look at a utility for a, a city or something like that, you know, they don't have the option of shutting the water down half the day. They've got to keep delivering it. So yeah. lots of challenges. Thank you, Bob. Um, that touched a lot of bases there. Speaking of touching a lot of bases, Ed. Hi, Mike, and hi, everybody. Um, thanks for inviting me um, to sit on the panel, Mike. I loved the one-day workshop. I thought it was excellent in breadth and content. Um, if you want to ask me what could be improved, the only thing I can come up with is have a couple of real short breaks in there to let people get up and stretch. But other than that, it was great. I was really taken with Michael Salvato and uh, James' presentation. Um, that took me um, that took me aside. I thought it was excellent. I can't wait to sit and review the slide deck. And thank you for sending the the uh, presentation, Mike. Um, that was more than I'd seen before, and I wish I could have understood the wiring diagrams that he was presenting because they were so small and not enough time that I couldn't absorb them. Um, if others could, I'd take my hat off to them. But it was I'm, a tease. I'm looking forward to that. Sorry? It was a tease. It well, was, he succeeded. <laughs> yeah, it was. The idea was to give enough information to help you understand the depth of the document. And that's the New York Academy of Sciences infrastructure architecture framework to help large organizations understand how to deal with multiple complex asset categories, roads, sewers, electricity, water, schools, et cetera. 
and municipalities and military bases fall into that category. So I just can't wait to review it again and learn more. Um, the other things I'll, I'll mention were mostly touched on by Bob. Um, I was impressed with the story that the gentleman from DC presented and noted that he raised their Moody's bond rating by following ISO 55K principles. That that was really helpful to know. Yes. I liked the ASCE presentation. And those of you that were there might recall that I asked a question about, are we going to rate at least public hospitals? And her comment was, we don't think we have enough um, civil engineers to do that, or that civil engineers with the skill set. Uh, that may well be true, because to rate hospitals, they're going to need mechanical and electrical engineers. But I'm going to continue to advocate for that. If we're doing public schools, we should be doing public hospitals. And their infrastructure couldn't be more important. We're sending our most infirmed people there. So I'd like to see that happen in the future. She said it had been discussed. I too liked Chris's presentation from BLM, and I would like to point out that his SAMP called for 3.2 billion. And when they went to Congress, they got 3.2 billion. So that was huge um, for yeah. federal agencies. So I noted that. And he also talked about having a federal asset management working group. Um, I'm really interested in that, having come from the Fed for three and a half decades, wish we had it before. Um, so I'm going to be looking into that some more. That was good to know. And finally, um, there was a really incisive comment and presentation from Amy. And I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, and I'm forgetting Amy's last name, but Amy Flannery, Flannery. Was the, until recently was with the Department of Transportation and is now with Jacobs. And I believe she is still on the National Academy of Sciences Transportation Research Board. So Jim, Jim probably knows Amy as well then. Um, her presentation was about uh, what you might call a focus group that she had with maintenance folks with the asset management folks. Now she was pointing out that the asset management is fewer in number and that the maintenance folks are highly skeptical. Um, if I could just say this to everybody here who works in asset management, since I came from the other side, facilities management and plant management, let, let me just tell you what it's like working on the front line. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to give money to maintenance. It's not sexy. When's the last time you saw a wing of a building or, or the um, electrical distribution system dedicated to Senator Smith? You're not gonna see that. You'll see the wing of a building. And I'm here to tell you that when something goes wrong, the blame-seeking missile is launched and it won't stop till it finds someone to blame. And it usually ends up being the guys or gals on the front line. So I, I'm gonna say this, I hope everyone who was there heard Amy's presentation. I hope they took note of it because the asset managers generally are sitting one level away from the front line. And it's easy to forget what's going on out there. The, the best asset managers will be the ones that can build trust with those who are managing the assets. Okay, so two, I, I, I had to bring up Amy's um, vignette because it was really poignant. 
two things about what Ed said. One, Amy um, spoke about a recent interaction with the state DOT where they had 12 of the maintenance engineers in the room with other leaders and they had the, the road that they were addressing on a map in the front of the room. They put a clear, you know, a see-through piece of paper over it and asked the maintenance engineers to circle the problem areas and got their input on what the issues were. And then they took that map away or they put another map over it that showed what the data indicated was the problem and it validated what the maintenance engineers said. And Amy indicated they looked proud that they were in alignment with what the big wigs and the data geeks were saying. And she purposefully had done that as an exercise in trust building. So that's why Ed is talking about the, the value of adding the trust. And, and um, Mike, I'll just take one more minute to share a vignette of my own that's right on point for what Amy was talking about. One of my medical centers had a decrepit electrical distribution system internally. I won't get into the technical details of why it was so bad, but we had un, unplanned power outages occurred about 10 times within a year. This is a really serious problem, especially since the emergency distribution system also had problems. Um, there, the director called a meeting for all the clinician uh, department heads and administrative heads and uh, put me up there and they were all pummeling me, what is the problem with our electrical distribution system? And I answered, the problem, sir, is the electrical distribution system. And that is why I have been asking for $8 million to fix it. That's what it took to get those funds. It shouldn't be that way. So well, the asset managers and those managing the assets need to hear one another and work together because that should have been proactive, not reactive. Yes. So the second thing that Ed mentioned is the informal uh, asset management uh, group. Uh, Bob was an instrumental in setting up and it's informal. And uh, I heard that, uh, the, you know, there are agencies, federal agencies that are looking to join that. And I'm wondering if the ALN should uh, set up a more formal federal asset management council to make us aware of all of the good asset management activities that are going on at the federal government. But there isn't like a CFO, there is a CFO council for the federal government, there's a CIO council. And I don't think the federal government is gonna you know, issue or, or do what's necessary to set up an asset management council, but we can certainly help get the ball rolling until they do. So thank you, Mike. I guess I'll take the blame for that. I mean, as I mentioned, Chris and I had worked together for years and, and Chris's predecessors and I had worked together and, and basically 
you know, we would commiserate together and, and that that is what the genesis of that working group was. <laughs> uh, and then we started bringing in, you know, the people we worked with. And initially it was just the, the Corps of Engineers, Civil Works and the Bureau of Reclamation because they share a lot of very similar assets and responsibilities. There's a little bit of overlap. I mean, for folks who don't know, Grand Coulee and Chief Joe are two of the biggest hydroelectric power plants in the country and they're about 20 minutes apart on the upper Columbia River. So, and they steal personnel back and forth all day long out there yeah. too. It's kind of kind of funny, um, but it was a way to share best practices, lessons learned, and and we deliberately wanted to keep it informal uh, because it was more effective that way. So it flew under the radar. We never asked for permission, for instance. We just kind of started talking and sharing information um, and and meeting occasionally, and then we ended up uh, growing a little bit with um, Bonneville Power Administration ended up uh, starting to come because they're a big part of the, particularly in the Pacific Northwest and then the Western Area Power Association too. So two, two of the largest uh, power market agencies in the country started joining. I understand TVA is working with them now uh, and there are there is interest from some other uh, federal agencies, just more, not necessarily so much on uh, power generation and water supply or things like that, but more in, in the concept of asset management you know what's what works what doesn't because everybody's got similar challenges uh with maintenance with prioritization with how do you use risk i mean those are all pretty uh common across the board no matter what kind of assets you're talking about i mean how you how you calculate the solutions might be a little bit different but you're still using the same concepts so, so the working you... group was intended to be i'd be a little hesitant to make it formal because once you make it formal and you got referees and parents and i mean all sorts of rules and, um Frankly, I, I was always more comfortable asking for forgiveness. Uh, so, well, but that, maybe that's just my up, personal view. Maybe we set up the informal Federal Asset Management Council. But uh, it takes uh, getting together in person to spark those types of ideas sometimes. Jim, what kind of uh, ideas uh, sparked uh, with you? Oh, uh, so the one word, one word, if I have one word, that was a takeaway, it was resilience. And of course, we understand what resilience means. And if we didn't, because of Jackson, Mississippi, everybody now gets it, what resilience is. And I think that's, of all the awful things about it, and many wonderful things of like local water utilities, <clears throat> helping them get back online and all from around the country. Um, but there was just the word resilience was repeated over and over again Friday in, in various contexts. Uh, when we we're working on, the, and we're still, of course, working on the rewrite to 55,000, and we we're looking at principles. And I was, you know, leading that effort in a way for a while. <clears throat> and we looked at sustainability as a principle, and we looked at resilience as a principle. And uh, we were pretty well convinced that resilience was a part of sustainability. Uh, and if we had a sustainability principle, we didn't need a resilience principle. Well, now I'm absolutely convinced of the opposite. Uh, much like uh, having both integration and alignment, because they mean slightly different things. Uh, the sustainability, I think, very important. But how can we ignore resilience in any kind of an asset management plan? Uh, it's just absolutely core critical. So every year that we've had these in-person events and, and the online events too, although it's not 
quite as effective. Uh, I think our, you know, the thinking of this group and the, those we impact uh, has taken a leap that exceeds our expectations every, every time we have one of these get-togethers. And I think that has happened again this year. I, I know it's happened in my thinking. And I think focusing, doing things like focusing on resilience and these principles uh, and some of the other topics you know, that Bob and him were talking about, get us to that uh, big picture approach, you know, calling it a, a back of a napkin approach is great too, but it's, you know, if you had your elevator pitch opportunity with the CEO of your organization, you know, what would you say? Can you say it in a few words? Uh, and until you can say something in a few words, it's not really clear that you really know what you're talking about. At least that's my experience. You can know a lot, but you really, you really get it and you know, know what can, what's possible. And I think that the big takeaway is we now see what's possible and it's a lot. And I think it's gonna put a, if there's an onus on us now in the ALN and all of us, now that we see what's possible, uh, we need to do something about it. Well, that's very actually encouraging. Um, we have been doing things and to say that we wanna do more, that's, that's very important. So thank you for those comments, Jim. And for those of you who have to uh, leave, um, that's the end of the 30 minutes. Thank you for joining us and thank you to our sponsors, but we'll do a formal closing later. But uh, Nick was at his first in-person event for the ALN. And I, I wanna go over time to let Nick have a chance to say what he thought about hey. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Uh, it was a pleasure to be there. Um, I guess I'd quickly just reiterate what uh, Bob had mentioned as far as it really covered from high-level, almost esoteric academic um, infrastructure, architecture, framework, you know, like systems of systems, that sort of level of um, thinking all the way down to boots on the ground, how do we convey to maintenance personnel why it's important to involve these principles in their day-to-day -day activities and how these principles can affect and help them in their job, you know, getting buy-in at every level of the organization, reiterating the importance of that um, was really important and, and seeing success stories in doing that. I mean, I think Amy said that was one of the best things she had seen, you know, all year, or, you know, and it was just a powerful thing for the personnel in that exercise she led and powerful for her as well. Um, and that was just awesome to hear. Uh, and I also, um, one thing I was thinking is uh, as far as continuous improvement and not just saying, oh, we did this so great. Um, one thing that there was only one instance that I was aware of uh, was Earl Jackson talking about you know, it wasn't just a success story that he was telling at Denver um, Transportation. He was saying, look, we tried and kind of failed um, in to, to implement this and to get this uh, asset management culture going at this organization. And I think it, it would be good in some ways for, for more stories, you know, success stories are great, 
um, but also stories that kind of normalize being somewhere on the journey um, because you know really all organizations based on the continuous improvement piece are just somewhere on the journey. No one's made it yet. Um, and, and so I, I think just a few more of those stories could be good to mix into future events or maybe we can popularize in some way. Um, and then I was just thinking, uh, Ed was saying, maybe we could have a few more quick uh, breaks for people to get up and stretch. And I was thinking, Ed also called it a workshop. And I really liked the sound of that. I, I wonder if we could implement in some way small groups breaking off at regular intervals to talk about what they'd heard because you know the final aspect of the event was almost like a round table where we passed the microphone around everyone got to say their piece um and you know really good stuff was said and i and i want to hear more of that and so i wonder if if yeah maybe almost between every presentation in the future we could have small breakouts where people might feel more comfortable talking about not just the success story, but where they're at in the journey and working with a smaller group of peers where they can quickly build some accountability and trust to, to share. Um, that was, that's mostly what I said. And what I'll leave you with is, is what I said when I got my 30 seconds with the microphone at the end, let's make asset management sexy. You know, like we, we heard here today, ah, it's not sexy. That's why it doesn't get the personnel that it deserves or the attention from every level of the organization but but it, it it is sexy because the outcomes are huge what stands to be gained is is giant and shiny and you know senators will want to put their name on it and so if we can tell that story um you know showing the already existing success stories and and more um then i i think we can get a lot more people bought into this from the leadership and all levels of an organization here in the U.S. and around the world. So, we need to turn the the mic over to you more often, Nick. That was really good. Thank you for those. A little bit of context in there. So, uh, Earl Campbell is relatively new at the um, Jackson. Earl Jackson. Earl Jackson. Sorry, I'm going back to football days. Um, Earl Jackson. Thank you is relatively new at uh, Denver Transportation and Infrastructure. Nine months, it was his nine month anniversary last Friday at the event. And there were two previous attempts to establish an enterprise asset management program, and they're still doing it. So he is talking about historic attempts and the ALN is honored to be part of the initiative in this try to help build that culture. We've given an executive briefing and then we were requested to have a asset management policy executive briefing. So we've provided two free briefings and uh, hopefully we contribute to them actually getting the enterprise uh, system. When uh, uh, all of these um, presentations are available, and Nick shared the link. And Nick is working on creating highlights. And the first highlight he created was Earl Jackson saying, Denver grew from being a big, small city to being a small, big city and dramatically increased their assets. And they now need a structured approach to asset management to help them. And so they're really in a position to gain these dramatic benefits that Nick was talking about. And if we could get um, something other than bottled water, that's my continuous improvement. 
I did not like having to order bottled water, but they didn't have just pitchers of water. And so having us be a little bit more sustainable would have been, would have been good. But I thought the lunch was really nice. <laughs> so um, anybody else uh, want to add anything that they might have thought about while uh, others were speaking? All right, then we've gone over time. Uh, thank you all for joining us. And Bob, thank you for spending some more time with us today. And Ed, also, you're both very busy. And for you to spend a day yesterday and some time this afternoon is quite a, a compliment. Thank you both. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. And we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com. You can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net.